Hi all, welcome to the Allcoin Buzz, Allcoin Buzz Lady Talking Tax Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite topic and probably the one causing most people the most concern, taxes. I'll caveat for those of you who might not be U.S. based. This is going to be a discussion based on the U.S. taxation of virtual currencies. So for anybody else out there, while this might be helpful from a treatment perspective, as some countries will be treating this separately, unfortunately, we won't be going into any type of international treatment. And so for those of you out there, I would just recommend reaching out and potentially working with a tax advisor as much as possible, especially to the extent you have a material, very large portfolio or any type of very largely appreciated investment currently. I will caveat as well, this is not meant to be tax advice. This is not meant to be financial advice. I am not a financial advisor. And that you should do additional research and talk to additional professionals in order to really solidify your understanding and the treatment needed for you personally within your taxes. Taxes vary case by case, and every case is different. The facts of the case are different. And what could be seen as a very similar transaction for the littlest detail might have a very different treatment. So it's very important that you, you're diligent about this topic and you're looking for additional s- support and assistance on this specific topic. So to begin, a lot of people out there are probably wondering where is a reliable source of information that they can look at. And there's a number of articles out there, there's a number of news agencies and other type of channels all putting out information on taxes and cryptocurrencies. One of the most useful pieces of information I found is actually the IRS's notice 2014-21. It's a pretty good notice. It goes through their treatment. It gives them a discussion of how they're treating virtual currencies, but it also has a question and answer frame. And a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about actually is tied very heavily to those specific questions and answers and just trying to look to provide additional detail into those specific topics. What you'll see as you start looking into this and a very important topic is the fact that virtual currencies were actually determined to be treated as property and not legal tender. the US IRS. This is important because as you read, as I'm sure many of you will choose to read in your free time, the Internal Revenue Code. Um, It's very long and if you're looking for a secondary read on top of that, you can open the Treasury regulations that accompany the IRC. If you're looking at this and the importance of it being defined as property is that being defined as property, it will be picked up in certain code sections under the tax code that stuff like a legal tender just won't be picked up as. And so certain provisions that you'll hear about, um, certain exceptions, I know one of the topics we'll talk about here today is the like kind exception. Those types of things are only relevant where you have property. And so it's a very important starting point to understand that virtual currencies from the IRS's perspective were defined in 2014 as being treated as property. Now, for any investor out there, there's a couple of things that are going to be important for you to understand. And these are things that are important for you to track and understand on your own. Your transaction history from, say, Coinbase or GDAX or Binance is a great starting point for many of you in regards to trying to 
disclose what you need to disclose on your tax returns. There are a lot of things missing in that information though, and only you can understand those points. And so if there's anything I could recommend from my own personal personal experience and personal habits, it's track all of your investments on your own. Now, historically, you might not be able to retroactively go back and track everything you've done to date, but you can start today. And I know we're sitting here middle of March and tax filings are due in the middle of April, and I'm sure a number of you are struggling with just the quantity of information you're trying to sort through and just try and bucket into a way that you could possibly even begin your tax reporting, if you're even deciding to do your tax reporting. Well, if you track and you track as you go, you will notice come next year or come the first year you decide to do that, your tax filing is going to be much simpler. <clears throat> I personally track everything. I track when I acquired it. I track how I acquired it. We'll go through here in a second why it's important to understand how you acquired something. I track not only the price of the exact transaction I did, you'll notice in your transaction history, let's say I bought B token with Ethereum. Um, you will see in your transaction history the Ethereum to B token price or a price that gets you back to a Bitcoin price. One thing though that you will struggle to find is any type of transaction history detail that tells you your US dollar cost of that investment at that point in time or any other fiat. And for those of you who might not realize this, your tax reporting is required in the US to be reported in US dollar. This I believe is one of the simplest things you can start doing for yourself that's going to simplify your future transactions is tracking all of your transactions back to the US dollar at the point in time in which you partake in them. Or for those of you who might be in international trades or have international filing obligations, the fiat of that jurisdiction that you are required to report in, you should be tracking this. Even if your tracker is just a date, a time, and a description of the transaction with it priced in US dollar, you're going to have much better information and a much easier time of things. That will match up, that date and that time will match up to one of your transaction histories and you'll now see the currencies for which you actually traded, its price in Ethereum, its price in Bitcoin, but then separately you will have tracked your price in US dollar. And if you track that in all instances, suddenly your US dollar obligations to report are going to be much simpler. I personally do that. I take the time after every trade. I have an Excel. I go in and I track that. I do a lot of tracking personally, um, just knowing I want to be a very informed investor and have all the tools I can to help me invest properly. I like to know at any point in time where my potential tax obligation lies, and this is what helps me do it. Tracking things in US dollar as a start, building, building a tracker for yourself where you can actually put that information is a great start and is the first start into getting yourself a tax tool that will be very helpful in the future. Now, I started and during that, uh, the discussion about, you know, tracking your information, I said, one of the things that's very important to understand is how you acquired something. For those of you out there, I know we're acquiring these cryptocurrencies in a number of ways. We could be earning them as a source of income. We could be mining them. I know I've personally been 
somebody who has partaken in airdrops and investing. Simple, straightforward, putting money, fiat into a platform and purchasing one of these cryptocurrencies as an investment to hold. That's important because each of those are different in how you're going to actually treat them on your tax return. The easiest thing is to liken it to actual currency. If you received cryptocurrency as a wage or as a payment for a service or for goods that you gave somebody, the IRS is typically looking at that as if it was a source of income and are saying, and they specifically address this within the IRS notice 2014-21, that it would be treated very similar to ordinary income. So that's going to be treated and taxed within your usual tax bracket. So if you, if your income is of a level where say your tax rate is 21% and you now have additional income from cryptocurrency services such as mining, assuming that you're not pushed based on the amount of income you've received into the next higher tax bracket, that income is additionally going to be taxed at your current bracket rate, which is 21%. Now, if you are somebody who's self-employed or if you're a minor or an independent contractor who works, and this is very similar to self-employment income, my only advice would be to seek out a tax advisor on what it means to be self-employed. There are specific filings and there are specific disclosures you need to make and specific taxes you actually need to be paying on top of your regular liability as a self-employed individual that you're going to need to track and that the IRS, I've actually seen people with very small businesses with very, very small bottom lines that actually have been audited, even though the risk of audit is very small. And you want to just make sure if you're, if you're saying that income's coming from your own activities as a self-employed individual, just make sure you're talking to somebody and getting professional help from a CPA who can instruct you and advise you through the necessary filings and taxes you need to be paying. Now, this next takes us to an airdrop. An airdrop is going to be treated very similar to as if you received a gift. So you're going to notice that an airdrop is going to be treated similarly to, is going to be treated similarly to regular ordinary income. It's going to be treated like what we just covered in services or sale of goods or income from working for some individual. It's really important for you to understand you need to know the price of an airdrop the date you receive it. An airdrop is fun because actually for any of these they're fun because the date you receive it that coin has a value and you've received it as a source of income airdrop, you've mined it, or you received it for your services. You've received that at that point in time as income. And at that point in time, you will be required to report it. After that, you have now are in a position where you're holding it as an investment. Whether you acquire it as an investment or you hold it as an investment, both are going to be treated upon disposal very similarly. So this takes us now now we've got investments. So now we've acquired the coin or token through some means, and now we're holding it. When we ultimately dispose of it, the one important thing to always make sure you've tracked or that your transaction history is tracking is the period of time for which you held that investment. 
Now, for most of you using a simple tax software, as long as you have the date you acquired and the date you sold, you're going to be able to very easily figure out how long you held that investment. The important marker for investment timing is one year. Anything less than a year that you've held an investment from buy to sell or from acquisition to disposal is going to be a short-term investment. Anything longer than a year, literally longer than 365 days, is going to be considered long-term in nature. The difference between the two is that you actually get to a preferential tax rate if you can qualify as having held that investment for a, lo for a long-term period of time. For those of you, if we go back to that 21% tax rate that we said that we might have qualified for, if you have something that is capital in nature and you're able to say it's long-term, and it was a long-term investment, you could get anywhere between 10 to 20% preferential tax rate on that investment. Anything less than 21 is going to be preferential in that instance to you. So for those of you who are of the opinion that you, you buy and you transition between coin to coin in a very quick manner, or you're, you're of the mindset, and I have heard this, I've actually talked to a couple of people who've had similar mindsets, I'm always gonna buy in February when it prices low, and I'm gonna sell first week of January. Because traditionally, year after year, I've seen that there's decent trends that if you get in early of the year, but not in January, you're likely to get a decent buy, and if you sell at the end of the year or at the very beginning of the next, you're likely to be right on the end of a bull run. These are great price points because we all understand that the beginning of a year, typically starting in January, is where the market tends to dip. Well, for investors who have that type of mindset, you are setting yourself up to constantly be paying a higher rate of tax on your investment. If you're making 100000 you are electing to pay more in tax and potentially have a lesser net of tax amount than if you were able to hold that investment longer. Now, how could that possibly make sense? How could I hold an investment, potentially watch the investment go down, and yet still have net of tax more amount? Well, let's go through an example. Say I have a $100,000 investment, and I'm of a tax bracket where I'm looking at paying 33 percent tax. If I pay 33% tax because I cashed out short term when I was at my high amount of 100000 I'm looking at paying out of pocket tax of $33,000, leaving me with $67,000 net of tax. Now let's say I was about a month away from hitting that one year mark and I decide to hold it. I'm going to say that I'm going to hold it and suddenly the market's pulled back a little bit, and it's now only worth $85,000. For me, let's just say that the rate, the preferential rate that I'm able to qualify for based on this investment is 15%. Well, if you do the math, 15% of $85,000 is about $13,000. $85,000 minus $13,000 puts us at $72,000. Suddenly, my holding of that position over the course in order to get me into that one-year marker, even though my investment has dropped, I have managed to increase my net of tax position from $67,000 to $72,000, where I feel 
mentally watching my portfolio like I have lost $15,000. I have actually bettered myself into a position that I have saved myself $5,000 or I have increased my amount of income $5,000 net of tax. Net of tax as well. In order for you to increase your portfolio, let's just go back to that 100000 In order for you to increase your portfolio $5,000 net of tax on that 100000 you would actually need to increase your portfolio by $7,500. You would need to have $107,500 in order to be equivalent at 33% tax rate to an $85,000 gain at a 15% tax rate. They would both put you about that $72,000 marker. So for you, for many of you out there, just think on that. Think on that and think on your mentality towards buying and selling short or long term. Is tax and the tax rate you might apply to your potential gains or your income or your losses, is it a point of your decision-making process? If it's not, this would be a point where for many of us, we could take something that we fear and that we're afraid of to potentially help us make better investment decisions. If you are tracking what you have in your portfolio, your trades, and you have at any point in time a listing of your potential gains and losses, you're now able to say, if I'm going to sell it now knowing my current tax rate, I'm going to have X as my net of tax position. If I wait and hold it a year, I get to this potential tax rate, lo and behold, there's some risk in that. Market could swing down, market could also go up. But you're getting to that preferential tax rate. If it's a material difference, which for some people, $5,000 might be a material difference. That is an important thing to understand and another important element of potential decision making that you should just give yourself the benefit of. So for many of us, this might be an important point. Learning to track, learning to use your potential taxation on this as a decision making tool and understanding it at any point in time. Track. Anything that you can take from this is potentially helping you track better your trades in order to have a better understanding of your current tax position at any point in time. Now, it would not be a tax discussion if we did not hit on that like-kind exchange. I know for a number of us, that like-kind exchange is thought to be your saving grace. I remember getting into cryptocurrency for the first time and hearing from people, it's the only investment that you don't pay tax on. There's no taxation on cryptocurrencies. Well, considering that the IRS notice that we began this discussion with is dated in 2014, you had better believe that the IRS is tracking and has been tracking since 2014 and earlier, this as a potential source of income. For many of those out there, one of the reasons that potentially the U.S. has such a positive mentality towards cryptocurrencies is they get their cut. They are expecting income from this through taxation on it. And that is one of the leading drivers for why there's so much positivity and acceptance from the U.S. government as to allowing cryptocurrencies to exist. So what does that mean? Well, before 2018, 
literally to the date of 1231-2017 with virtual currencies defined as property. Many people found that there was an exception to the normal treatment of, say, a regular stock on any stock market from paying gains and loss on certain transactions. Now, I don't think it's ever questioned, and I think most people understand, that a fiat to coin to fiat transaction was always taxable and should be taxable. If I take US dollar and buy Bitcoin, and Bitcoin appreciates, when I sell it back into US dollar, no one I really ever talked to would question that that would be a taxable transaction. And on the appreciation of that value in Bitcoin, I would owe tax. Where I have heard a number of things is where I'm doing altcoin transactions. Let's say I go US dollar to Bitcoin, and I take Bitcoin to buy Ethereum. And later I take Ethereum to buy Bitcoin. And finally I take that Bitcoin and sell it to US dollars. For many, there's only believed to be one transaction in this all that should be taxable. And that should be the US dollar to Bitcoin, Bitcoin to US dollar transaction. What was my appreciation during the entire time? Few seem to recognize that there are tax reporting obligations for the transactions in between. I've heard a lot of people throwing around the term, the like-kind exchange. For those of you out there who, who want to do more research under the Internal Revenue Code, this is Section 1031. And a like-kind exchange allows for the transfer of a piece of property in exchange for something of a similar like, kind, and nature in order to take that and put it into the old piece of property's place. Conceptually, this is meant mostly for real estate. And if you think about it, I own building X. I bought it at $100,000. I've owned building X for a number of years. I own building X. And it's worth, it was worth $100 when I bought it. I've owned it for 10 years. It's now worth $200,000. In theory, if I sell building X, I should owe tax of hundred on $100,000 worth of appreciation in that property. Well, under the like-kind exchange, as long as I follow certain requirements, if I sell building X and buy building Y, and it meets the qualifications to be considered of a like-kind, similar nature, I can defer recognition of that gain take a carryover basis in the new property of $100,000 as if I had bought building Y 10 years ago for that $100,000 and hold that new piece of property until its ultimate sale in which at that point in time, I will pick up the gain. So that, while semi-dense, I think, is for those of you out there, a little bit of background into the like-kind exchange. Now, why is that relevant for cryptocurrency? Well, with virtual currencies being defined as property, many have taken the read of Section 1031, the like-kind exchange, to apply to cryptocurrency transactions. Specifically, virtual currency to virtual currency transactions. So, where you have legal tender, the US dollar, buying a cryptocurrency, a piece of property, that appreciates, that you ultimately sell back to legal tender that cannot qualify as a like-kind exchange because legal tender is not defined as property. Where you have one coin 
however, buying another coin, both defined as property. Many have taken the read to say that should qualify as a like-kind exchange. What's important, though, and what very few people realize, is that you cannot just say, this is a like-kind exchange, I have no reporting obligations. For those who are less familiar with the tax world, it is very important to understand that anytime the IRS is giving you a deduction or is giving you an exception, there are qualifications to meet it and there are likely heavy amount of disclosures you need to report in order to obtain that benefit. And this is no different here. So for anybody looking to have any additional information on the like-kind exchange, a really great place to look and give yourself some brief understanding is actually going to be on form 8824. I'm not sure many of you have heard of this form, but this is the form that is required to be filed for every instance you are trying to qualify and report a transaction is subject and gets the benefits of the like-kind exchange. There are some that do believe that a failure to file this form within your tax return as it relates to a specific transaction actually immediately fails you from qualifying and subjects you to immediate taxation on said transaction. So for those out there who are saying in 2017 or earlier, I have no tax liability on any of my transactions because they've been coin to coin or token to token and I've never gone back to fiat. All of the transactions should fall under a like kind exchange I don't have to report. Well, there is actually potentially a huge reporting obligation with form 8824 saying that you need to file a form for every transaction in which you want to qualify as having it be under like kind exchange. For anyone out there who this comes as a surprise. I would have you immediately, if you have a material balance, reach out, and my recommendation would be to reach out to a CPA or tax advisor and try and understand the like-kind exchange and get your reporting within your tax return for the current year. Now, a lot of you might sit here and say, well, if I fail, how would they ever figure it out? It's coming, and it is coming in a terrifying way. The IRS has recently, and there's been articles and news on this, subpoenaed Coinbase for all U.S.-based people that have an account with over $20,000 in it. Now that's U.S. dollars for those listening. And if you recall, and I actually signed up specifically and registered a new account after I specifically went through the measures of signing uh, into a new account and trying to go back and figure out where, where do they ask for this information. Well, when you sign up for a Coinbase account, when you sign up for a Binance or any other exchange, you actually list your specific address, your mailing address. And for many of us, we freely have put a US-based address. Well, if your account in Coinbase has over 20,000 US dollars in it and you have a US residence, put on that account and registered within that account, your information has been subpoenaed and is likely to be handed to the IRS. The statistics are slightly shocking when you actually think about the number of people trading. In reading on this, I was reading that under 600 people 
I believe it was close to 515 in 2014, around 550 in 2015, and only about 590 people in those, in 2016, in those specific tax years, ever even filed information as it pertains to any type of involvement in cryptocurrency transactions. This means there are thousands of people failing to report anything as it relates to the coins, including Form 8824 saying, while I'm trading, I owe no tax because it falls under this like-kind exchange. The IRS has subpoenaed this information now, and in CPA journals, in accounting journals, in newsletters coming out to CPAs, this is one of the most discussed points because of the fact that it is expected to be such a highly audited point. People are going to be selected for audit by solely having their name listed as having an account over $20,000. If this is going to be you, it's very important that you stop and ask yourself, first, do I understand the penalties associated with potentially underfiling, failing to report this type of income, and potentially being found to have fraudulently misreported on my tax return. It's very important you talk to a tax advisor and you understand those three points. When you understand those three points, you and only you will be able to determine what measures you need to take and how far you're willing to go in order to amend your taxes and update your current tax return in order to report the relevant income. There are some serious penalties out there, and this is a very dim and dreary topic to be discussing, but there are some very real, very intense, criminal-level penalties that exist for failure to file or potential evasion of taxes. Please, please do yourself any type of favor and seek out professional guidance, ask for assistance, and do what is potentially your best reasonable effort to report what you can as it relates to your investments. Now, the entire discussion changes starting January 1st, 2018. Section 1031 was amended within the U.S. tax reform that was recently released to say that that exception shall only be relevant and exist for transactions related to real estate property. Thus, as of 2018, there's no potential to make the case that a coin-to-coin -coin transaction could potentially be exempt from taxation under like-kind exchange. So for those of you who might have been relying on this and may have been reporting your disclosures correctly, it's changed. And it's even more important now more than ever to make sure that you are adequately tracking your information, seeking professional help, and preparing yourself for the tax obligation that's going to come your way. So guys, super, super solemn topic here today. Unfortunately, can't be more upbeat, except that there's a potential to really try and leverage the obligations you have from a tax filing perspective to hopefully better some type of decisions you make as far as goes to trading between transactions and taking certain investment opportunities, buying and selling in a way that betters your position from a tax perspective, betters your income from a net of tax perspective. There's a lot to be said here and there's a lot of rules out there and there's a lot of people talking 
about tax, but understanding the topic of tax is slightly different. And so to refresh on what we've talked here today, we've talked about the importance of tracking your information, tracking how you acquire each of your coins and tokens in the cryptocurrency world, tracking back to a fiat currency, the amount of every transaction, whether it be the acquisition or the disposal. Tracking your disposal, the method into what coin or what currency or for what property you actually dispose of your currency. We talked about the importance of understanding that for transactions before December 31st, 2017, there is in fact this like kind exchange that exists under section 1031 of the Internal Revenue Code. However, understanding that it is an exemption, you must understand and look and do more research into the qualifications to get this exemption and the reporting disclosures needed in order to file and appropriately qualify to actually take that exemption. And finally, starting in 2018, understanding that the exemption is gone and that cryptocurrency, virtual currency, is anticipated to be treated similar to stocks and securities out there currently. I hope you've all enjoyed, and maybe enjoyed isn't the right word, but hopefully you've all taken something from this podcast. I hope that this podcast has not just instilled a level of fear, uncertainty, doubt. I really just hope that, you know, this doesn't scare people away from the market. If you're an investor, and to this day you've you've tried to avoid and deny this topic of tax, you're doing yourself a disservice. The sooner you accept and confront the issue of taxation on this, the sooner you learn to track, and the sooner you build up your tools and your resources, the easier you're going to make your life in the long run. And the less likely you are to be in a position where when faced with the decision, you're potentially looking at a decision between right and wrong, where wrong has potential penalties and potential extreme consequences that you just don't want to face. If nothing else, use this as a stepping stone. Use this as your starting point. Reach out to a tax advisor. Now, if you have smaller accounts and if your exposure is low, potentially the materiality of what you're potentially looking at isn't enough to get you to say I need professional assistance. However, for those of you out there who have made it big in the cryptocurrency world or who are sitting on large, large accounts, do yourself a favor as an investor and as a person trying to better your financial position and get the help now. Seek out professional guidance and do what you can now so that you are here and in the long haul of the cryptocurrency world with us. Because a hit, like a tax hit, can potentially be the hit that takes you out of the game or makes you not want to return to the game. So let's get everybody up to speed. Let's get everybody educated on this. And let's get people talking about it in a way that's not necessarily bad. Let's hope that people turn this around and future tax discussions are on tax planning opportunities and a way to make better decisions because you have an opportunity from a tax perspective to really better yourself by entering and disposing in certain transactions. So that's been 
a fun discussion today. Again, I'm with Altcoin Buzz and Altcoin Buzz Ladies. You can follow us on Twitter at AltcoinBuzzIO or at ABuzz underscore ladies. We look forward to hearing your feedback. You can also leave comments here on the podcast. Please let us know what else you'd like to hear about on the topic of taxes. Thank you for listening, everybody.